0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to episode 133 of Wait, What? A Comics and Pop Culture Peace Sling. Graham McMillan's got so much trouble on his mind, refused to lose, but fortunately he's here to talk about comics, casting decisions, and Jack Kirby. Other topics covered today include the finale of Trinity War by Jeff Johns and Ivan Rice, Batwoman by J.H. Williams III, Hayden Blackman, and Amy Reeder, Young Avengers by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, Dan Slott and Superior Spider-Man, James Spader as Ultron, Ben Affleck as Batman, and Steve Gerber as Superman writer. Also mentioned Chris Weston, The End of the Fucking World by Charles Forsman, the American Vampire Anthology, and the glory that is OMAC, the one-man army corps. Frazzled show notes for this episode are available over at savagecritic.com, and we welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Yeah Graham McMillan, why was that so difficult?
1: I don't know if I just tried to call you back as well, and it was like, no, your computer is busy. <laughs> Which was like, what the hell is going... What is it busy with? What is my computer doing? But it's so like, no, you can't do that. I mean, it was it was like... I mean, it was just a little window that came up. Right. But I just feel that if it could speak to me, it would do it in a snotty tone of voice. No, you're busy. No, <laughs> you, you can't do that. Don't no, you're you, not allowed.
0: Did you have something better you should be doing with your time? Exactly. Uh... What
1: are, What do you think you're up to, huh? Face timing? I don't think so. What? What? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, my my computer has just been weirdly off with me today. How are you, sir? Sir,
0: I am good. Sure, why not? Let's say good. <laughs> really? That, that good? <laughs> yeah, it's it's weirdly hot here. I mean, I know that San Franciscans are, are you know, the, the hothouse flowers of the United States and therefore barely able to tolerate any weather that's outside of, you know, a minor deviate standard, but I think it's, right now, it is... It says it's 73 degrees, but the humidity is much, much higher. So, really? yeah, it's kind of that's weird. Unusual. Exactly. Exactly. So, it was kind of like sitting here just being uncomfortable, basically, for the last oh, couple of that's hours. It Yeah, exactly. That's and it's like. The bed. And because my next door neighbors love nothing better than throwing things on the ground, sighing things, and yelling loudly, I had to close the windows.
1: Oh, that's I've completely forgotten about the construction neighbors. Oh, I'm so glad we've had to return to the construction neighbors. Uh, Wade Waters, who have listened for a while, you'll recognize that deep cut. It, it I feel like it's been a couple of years since we talked to the construction
0: neighbors. Yeah, I haven't I haven't complained about them too much. They've sort of quieted down. But then today they were like, "Oh, you know, it would be awesome sign and dropping <laughs> boards like all day, starting at it's, seven a.m."
1: there's something going on with the uh, weather today because it's, like we had a crazy thunderstorm overnight and so I I, yeah I woke up this morning and we don't have thunderstorms here and I woke up this morning and it was just like torrential rain and like really loud long thunder and lightning which just does not happen here and when you wake up in the morning and like it's fairly dark I'm waking up at like six o'clock and it's fairly dark and then like suddenly you just just get the flash of lightning and then (laughs) (laughs) you really have this moment of like Oh, today's going to be a terrible, a terrible be a dirty, day. Terrible
0: day. Shitty, shitty, shitty. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to hear it. Did the dogs um, lose their the shit dogs over were that? through it. Oh, really? Oh, thank they're God. Like, okay, because most like, dogs under-tuck. are like under. Nothing to do with it. So, is it continued to rain, or I'm trying to peek at the weather behind you? And no, it's, of course, it's all I see lovely, is though. like, it's yeah.
1: Really, it's really nice and sunny now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Hooray. Well, yeah, that. Yeah,
1: yesterday was just. Yeah, last night just go... I mean, we've had rain for a while, but last night it was just like, Hey, do you guys remember Thunder? Maybe you don't. We never do <laughs> it here. Let's say it had more time. And it was just, oh my god, today is crazy.
0: Yeah, well, um, yeah, so that seems to be the tenor of the times.
1: You know what it is? Yes. It's the weather, it's nature getting us prepared for james spader's ultron
0: <laughs>
1: that weather, was the, the best like, segue listen, ever the weather is going to be is all like listen you're gonna get some news today it's gonna to be kind of fucking weird <laughs> so i just want to get you like on on your like on your toes already you know it, it thunder you're not used to thunder here you know maybe if you're a little bit nervous then maybe you'll just take this james spader news better <laughs>
0: I just, I just love the idea that that they issued that statement, and then you know, I can't help but f- wonder if like the first official like follow up from the press was like, um, "Are you fucking with us?" No, really, you can tell us. Oh, are I you sl- fucking I with
1: swear us? Where's the god? When I first saw, it, I was like, "No, <laughs> what? No, uh, no, J- James Spader? No, I, I, that makes no sense." Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, my my first thought was. It was a joke about Ben
2: Affleck.
1: I really, <laughs> I kind wanted, of thought I so was, too. Yeah, exactly. I was like, okay, so it's it's a joke, right? because mm-hmm. James Spader is such a fucking weird suggestion. It's it's you know, there's no fucking way they've really chosen James Spader to be <laughs> Rolltron, right? Especially because I said this and wired You have Marvel, and they're like, okay, unstoppable robot killing machine. Mm-hmm. You know who who can we, who would play an, an unstoppable robot killing machine? Uh, you know we've got Vin Diesel. No, let's make him a talking tree. Uh, what about James Spader? Like, what is going on with the Marvel casting system right now?
0: I, 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 like I said, I still can't help but think that it's a fake out. I mean, uh,
1: <sighs> if it's a fake out, I mean, it's a fake out. They're following through on.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I sort of have think that it's not a fake out because, arguably, and spoilers for those who didn't see it. Like, Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin was pretty much a fake-out, you know what I mean? So I kind of feel like they oh, wouldn't necessarily... You think,
1: you think it's a fake-out as in, like, they will, it's not, like, midway through production are going to be like, he's not really James Spader, you know, Ultron is really, you know... You mean a fake-out as in, like, in the film?
0: Yeah, in the film. James Spader will
1: be playing a character called Ultron. What I think it might be is James Spader's going to be playing a character of Ultron, and then at some point he'll be like, ha-ha, fleshy ones, and pull off his face and be a robot.
0: Yeah, that's kind of... That sort of makes sense. Ha-ha, fleshy ones. (laughs) I do sort of like... It's like, Avengers Age of Ultron, based on Next Wave, Agents of Hate, you know? It's like, we went right to the source material. Warren and Ellis and Stuart and acclaimed classic.
1: My other joke for Wired was... Uh, the James Spader follows on from uh, Paul Bettany being Jarvis, Yes. in the proving in the uh, Marvel's movie universe AIs are all like snobby arrogant dicks (laughs) and I was like, so obviously Ben Stein's going to have to be uh, Machine Man, and I don't know if that actually, I don't know if that made it to print it's one of those things that I make a joke and I'm like I'm sure that joke's going to be stripped out by an editor that I'm not even checking but seriously Ben Stein as the machine man. Just imagine <laughs> Ben Stein first of all voicing the Ellis machine man, but then more importantly, voicing the Kirby Machine Man.
0: I don't I you, don't. you'd say Come on. It's it's you know, the thing is is I don't like Ben Stein as an actual genuine. That's my person. point. <laughs>
1: so <laughs>
0: therefore
1: I'm not saying Ben Stein's a good actor because he's demonstrably not.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I get your point. I'm still just a little queasy, but I'm still wrapping my brain around James Spader as Ultron. I'm still like what? So, you know.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah, I I can't quite i mean i genuinely can't quite work it out (laughs) it's like okay so i guess that's the thing that's happening
0: well i i mean i can almost see it in this idea of you know you've got the avengers film robert downey jr is still your biggest star and your biggest asset you know, in the Avengers, so you film. get
1: a guy who was in Lesson Zero with them, and it's a classic.
0: See, That's there you go. <laughs> they're on the wall. Tony Stark gives head and is dead, and it's like perfect. It is like oh the perfect God. Joss Whedon Tony- callback.
1: Tony Stark gives head and is dead. <laughs> You're writing like Variety headlines, though. <laughs> you don't Bravo R D J. I'm saying both off bright <laughs> to shoot on headline the last like
0: century. Exactly. I'm like unless there was some... Pop box office. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no. Well, okay, obviously I will forgive you for neither reading less than zero nor watching the hor- horrible horrible movie adaptation. Oh no, I know. I
1: know in. I know totally. Okay, what you're you do. Okay, okay.
0: I, you're I, just I saying. Totally you're just saying that's just an actual say,
1: Yeah. <sighs>
0: See, clearly, you. I didn't realize you. Variety's hipper than I give them credit for, Graham. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't. So, so right. So, I'm thinking that James Spader is basically going to be like another smarmy um, techno-industrialist prick, basically, who's going to be more I, than I Tony really, Stark's match. Really, and then,
1: really hope not. Like, sure. I totally can see it, but I really hope that's not the case. I mean what I'm worried about is that that's going to be the case and then they're going to be like where did Ultron come from because Hank Pym didn't build him and then they'll be like Ultron came from space. I'm genuinely worried they're going to go that route.
0: Oh really? See mm, yeah. I don't know, you know I don't maybe maybe I really I don't see that. I I see it cuz Whedon has enough exposure to to Marvel, you know. It's like Ultron is like his Oedipal relationship. No matter who, if you change it from Pym well, to Stark it. or like, whoever, you know, y-
1: there has to be the Oedipal relationship, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there really has to be. It's so funny. So for today, for the Hollywood Reporter, I wrote a like, who who the fuck is Ultron? Story <laughs> essentially, and I wrote it at the same time that Rachel was writing one for Wired, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't going to, and then like basically I got asked to do. Um and both of us independently wrote pretty much the same thing, which is, you know, fuck all the Ultron stories, they don't really matter. All you need to know about Ultron is this he's a robot, he wants to kill people, and he has a shitload of daddy issues.
0: <laughs> that's it.
1: Like that's it. I think both of us also were like, and he keeps building a family who will betray him. Right. He will always like build a son or a daughter or a wife, and they will betray him. The end. That's the Ultron story, everyone. <laughs> And it's so funny, because you realize Ultron's, because I think Ultron's a great character. I Mm -hmm. love Ultron. Mm -hmm. But, like, when you do a story like that, like, when you actually look at all things, you're suddenly like, Ultron is actually, there's not really much there apart from his visual.
0: There's the visual, but there's the hook. The problem is there's really not much of a way to advance the hook. You know what I mean? Like I, I, that—that's well, my. All, per- all the
1: particular stories point. are essentially the same story. Yeah,
0: exactly. They're the same story, but it's because it's—I don't know. I've you know you, you hit the highlights. You know, it's like I'm sure people are are like, I I really want to do that Ultron story. You know, there's like one Ultron story you want a chance to actually do hey, it. Here's you know,
1: a, here's the funny thing: you've got to give credit for Bendis for not doing the same Ultron story. Uh, Age of Ultron was terrible, <laughs> but he wasn't doing he wasn't doing the same. Ultron story.
0: Oh, that's true. That's true. You know, you
1: didn't have the scene where he's, like, torturing Hank Pym and being like, Daddy, I will make you love me. By the way, here's my new brother. And his new brother's like, what? Why are you torturing Daddy? I will become an Avenger that no one likes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, dude. The vision was awesome.
1: I was talking about Jocasta, actually.
0: Were you? Oh, well, in that yeah. case, yeah. I guess. But wasn't Jocasta was supposed to be, like, his bride, his and then wife. he changed it yeah. up, right? And, and yeah. in fact, didn't she get, like, Jan's yeah. brainwaves? And...
1: Brainwaves, yes.
0: Man, i whole... And also, she's called Jocasta.
1: That's my favorite thing. Yeah. It's like Roy Thomas, whoever created her, was like, am I making this eatable thing obvious enough? Maybe not. So what if, like... He kidnaps Hank Pym's wife for his bride, and I call her Jocasta. Yeah. I love that. I, Sounds I love good
0: that. to me, man. The mighty Marvel lack of nuance. It's, That's one of those things true. that like, I really do. You
1: have to think that if Marvel hadn't gotten slightly more subtle, because I say they have. Mm-hmm. But if they hadn't, he would eventually build a computer called Oedipus, wouldn't he? <laughs> it is my son, Oedipus. Right. You know, and then, and it would be like Ultron colon the Oedipus complex. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, they could make it eight, Oedipus, you know, or something like that.
1: Oh, and then Doctor Octopus could be involved. <laughs> oh, it's a crossover, <laughs> Jeff, it's a crossover. You're a genius. I, I, why is this being
0: blamed on me? <laughs> <laughs> you, come
1: on, you you added the eight, and that, come on, You you've got it. You are like a Marvel editor.
0: Oh. That's you the meanest really thing are. that I think you've ever <laughs> said to me
1: Oh my god Okay, so to get off the subject of um, James Spader for a second and Ultron Yes um, I said on Twitter last week And I I actually haven't talked to you about this yet uh, You have to listen to the Nerdist Writers podcast interview with Dan Slott It's great Oh yeah, actually it's someone really, really good And something is happening to Jeff Lester That he's very concerned about I'm styled blame me what, this is what's happening everyone uh, now that Jeff can, and I can see each other Jeff can look to off to the left the side and I notice whereas before I'd never know
0: that I <laughs> know and, it's, it's kind of like now I know, what's really. happening <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm um, sorry so yes Dan Slott. Some someone that, wrote okay, in so, and said I should listen to that yeah, so. it's
1: really really good but one of the things that's really good is, is Dan Slott not putting on his hey Spidey fans right. thing at all it's just Dan Slott talking basically like a normal dude
2: mm-hmm, right mm-hmm.
1: and part of that is at one point the guy's like Spider Island! And he's like, so you know the story about Spider Island, right? And he basically says, Spider Island was come up, like, I dr- thought that up over a weekend, <laughs> because before that, uh, before that uh, weekend Marvel had come to me and said, okay, we need a Spider-Man event uh, it's going to happen in these months what have you got? Mm-hmm. And he told them what he was planning, and they are like, okay, so we're just going to kill off Spider-Man a year early, because that's the biggest story you've got, we'll just do this this is what we're doing, because we need a Spider-Man event, and that's big enough Wow. The end of that, and they were like, You're just gonna have to throw out a year of story. And he's like, I was like, Well, what about this and this? And they're like, Okay, so that eight part story you've got, can you just like condense that into two parts? And we'll do that ahead <laughs> of time. Like, and he was like, And that's just the reality of it. Right. And he said, So what I said instead was, If I can come up with another idea before Monday, mm-hmm. because Monday was when they had to go and present like the, the finalized thing. If I can come up with another idea by Monday, can I do the other day idea instead of this and keep with my original schedule? And they are like, sure, but you're not going to. Uh, And he was like, so basically what happened is I got on the phone with someone and the two of us just pitched ideas back and forth. Like, (laughs) trying to to come up with an idea for an event. And he said it was the other guy who came up with the idea for Spider Island. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do it because they'd just done it with the Hulk, which a lot of people said at the time. Yeah and he was like and but then I was like wait what if we don't do it in the entire world we do it in New York and then we can do it to all the Spider-Man supporting characters and it's different enough right but he like, he just comes out right and says you know they were going to take two years of story away from me I had to come up with this thing to stop them doing it and I did it over a weekend which is you know first of all fair play to him sure for fighting uh,
0: at the very least but it,
1: it, but it really gives you a, a, a wonderful insight into the way things are, work over there and I in a really nice way in that he's not like those bastards do you know what I mean normally you hear people being like editorial experience those guys suck right and instead it's just like that's the reality of working in comics right like if you're really going to get butthurt, butthurt over that if you're working at Marvel or DC you're probably in the wrong job like it's it's a fascinating interview for that like mm-hmm. I, I love that sort of thing but mm-hmm. no just when I was saying Marvel editor I was like oh god that was that great Marvel editor
0: yes yeah well, you know, interestingly enough, I in my in my um, reading of comics over the last couple of weeks, I want to say, and this is, let's see if I can check, I think it was uh, WhatNot Art Baxter passed along a couple of issues of um, Superior Spider-Man for me to check out. Uh, so I read Superior Spider-Man 15 and 16 right before, um, just maybe an hour ago. It's, I don't know if you've read them, but it's it's a two part. I, I haven't
1: read any of Superior
0: Spider-Man. Oh, well, you know it's it's uh, it's good. I gotta tell you that book no, is you, good. You said,
1: yeah, you said that before. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: it's and, one of those
1: things that like I've added it to my library list. It's just
0: I I haven't bought, it. and I don't even know why I haven't bought it at this mm-hmm,
2: point. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it is fascinating to me because I think I think you would really like what slot's doing, especially at, at here in issue fifteen or sixteen, kind of like a you know, I'm like, it's sort. It's sort of like the what we were talking about with the Fantastic Four last week. You know, Slot has figured out a way to reintroduce stakes back into the Spider-Man storyline. You know, uh, in that you find yourself both sort of rooting for and against Octo Spidey. You know, in equal measure, but also there's kind of this thing because because. Octopus has continued Spider-Man has continued to grow his quest to um protect people. He basically uses all these like spider bots to keep track of all of New York, but with a special emphasis on the villains. So he actually acts proactively and takes out supervillains when they when he sees that they start to become you know too much of a possible threat. Uh, and, and additionally, they introduced his like he's developing an, a sort of army of like mercenaries, of spider minions. He's basically thinking like a supervillain, but trying to do proactive good things about it. One of the things that's also great is because he's a supervillain. He has a tendency to try and over-explain himself when he's actually talking to other villains. They're, you know, they're like
2: kind of hilarious. Yeah,
0: which I think is is a is a really nice touch. Um, but there was something about it where, I, and I don't know, I you know, I could be wrong on this, but in the, in the latest couple of issues, how do I put it? Like. um... I could be wrong, but it's like slot is writing like Spider-Man is been tied really closely to New York, you know. I think especially in the movies, and but you know, kind of that sort of through line throughout the idea that Spidey is a New Yorker through and through, and New York is Spider-Man's town and that sort of thing. It's kind of a weird sp- Doc Ock as Spider-Man is kind of a, to me, very much a, oh, and here's a post-9-11 Spider-Man that's very much, like, in the way that he's, you know... it's a police state, you know, everyone's under surveillance and there's, like, more and more of his soldiers who basically are falling into line, who are able to do whatever they want, essentially, and he's all doing it for, you know, good ends, but I was yeah. kind of like, huh, this is, to me, you know, lefty pinko me, it's kind of a, a weirdly resonant idea of what's going on, and and kind of a great tonic, um, a good anecdote, anecdote anecdote yeah anecdote to the sort of militarization of superheroes that has happened over the last couple of years especially with marvel you know the idea that marvel's yeah. heroes are it, you know it's like they and the military and it follows from the movies but it runs really strongly throughout the books it's kind of nice seeing this idea that in its weird sub- seems like it might be a more subversive take on that you know
1: yeah no i i think that uh, I've, I we've talked about slot and Spider-Man before. Mm-hmm. That he's that I've always felt he's like really close to being awesome, but somehow falling short. Right. Um. I got the I, I got the impression listening to this interview, and also from reading other interviews, where he's more on quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um. That this is his like big Spider-Man idea.
0: Yeah.
1: And. From everything that I've heard, and especially from you, he's doing it well. Like, mm-hmm. he's basically taking it as far as he can.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is
1: great. Um, what was really interesting listening to this, this Nerdist thing is, I, he, I feel like he pretty much gave, like, a timeline for when it's over, mm-hmm. uh, without actually coming out and seeing it. Mm. Because then, I, at one point, the, the uh, Ben Blacker even says, you know, he's like... Obviously, this isn't going to stick. It's comics, right? And he stops himself from coming out and being like, of course not. Right. Like, he, he's he's very, I, th- I think that slot is very smartly aware of the audience's inability to suspend disbelief. Yes. Peter Parker's never going to come back. Mm-hmm. And plays with that. Because, as he said, he kills Peter Parker twice.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like,
1: he's like, you kill him, and then I bring him back, and then I really kill him.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: which is a really really smart, incredibly cruel thing to do. Mm-hmm. But it's really great cuz it really is like you I knew you wouldn't believe it when I did it.
0: Yes. yes. So I
1: gave you this look. It's not really true and lodged false security and then completely fucking dropped the hammer. Yeah. Which is great not only from the you are like you probably are going to convince some readers at that point that it's the the reversal isn't going to happen. Yeah. But you also set up a situation that when the reversal does happen, you've got to really do it well. Mm-hmm. Like, you've raised the stakes for readers. Yes. By yeah. just being like, okay, you can't do X, you can't do Y, you can't do Z. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. I, I, I think, like, everything I hear about Spirit of Spider-Man is incredibly positive. And like I say, I have no idea why I have it. I really don't
0: know. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised. I'm looking forward to checking some of it out and, and catching up, because... Uh, um... You know, it's it's a shame. I'm like, I wish there were ways to share the copies that I'm getting from people. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should ask people to send digital copies to you. Graham?
1: No, no. no. Uh, at at some point, I mean, I I am on the library list for the collected editions. Right editions, um, but I might just pick up some issues. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the it's the Excalibur half price sale this weekend, so I might just go over and see if they've got anything
0: man, oh man, you know, I, I have know. to say, isn't it, uh, ur, that's, uh, man, no, just if ever, there's so many times where I'm just like, it's, it's, if good, ever
1: I was in Portland, yeah, like,
0: if ever I was like, no, it's just one of those, like, why don't I have, like, that free pass on, like, Virgin Airlines that just allows me to jump on a flight and fly up there whenever I want, answer, because I would I, be I, there I, every weekend, yeah,
1: I know, so whenever you want would definitely be whenever Excalibur's having the half-price sale,
0: totally, Totally. Oh, my so God.
1: I, I should explain, listeners, Excalibur Comics is the local comic store where I, I live. It's it's really, it's like 10 blocks away. Um, and multiple times a year, I want to say two or three times a year, they have a 50% off sale. Yeah. Where everything, sorry, that's not true. All the single issues are 50% off. Yeah. With the exception of the books that came out that week. Uh, and all the trades and hardcovers are 25% off. Which, you know, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Because also, nice also, also the other thing is Excalibur also has a killer back issue selection.
2: Mm,
0: yeah, it really does. It's back issue selection is is aces. Um, what should I ask you about? Uh, so another thing that I think you might like with Superior Spider-Man is the, the other thing that I thought was very clever was, had you been following since the whole since Ben Yurick's uh nephew basically decided to to become the new Hobgoblin.
1: Yeah, I like I'm actually current all the way up to the end of Amazing Spider-Man.
0: Oh, okay. So I didn't I didn't had not, you know, I was very spotty on, on this stuff. So I was not aware that that had happened and was kind of like, "Oh, cuz there's this two-parter is a is a two-part story actually. I think it's two of three parts. It's I think I'm sure it's still No, no. It it ends with it being in a, a place, but basically it's Um, you know the Hobgoblin under siege, and one of the things is is I did not realize like he is in the process of basically, um, he works for the Daily Bugle by selling them content that he catches of the Hobgoblin. Oh yeah, yeah. He he
1: he's the anti-Spider Man. He's Peter Parker.
0: He's the anti-Peter Parker. Yeah, and and at one point he actually begs for forgiveness from Ben Urich and says, Uncle Ben, I'm so sorry, and I'm just like okay slot you kind of blew my mind because i was not paying attention you know and it's just kind of like huh that's it's nice there's a lot of thought that clearly goes into it and um you know it's it's just it's marvel's marvel's got a doing a pretty good damn good job with their books these days it's one of those things like i don't know if like the whole sales reboot did it but i love
1: that you're like i'm Technically boycotting them, but their books are really good.
0: They are. They and are. It,
1: it's, it, no, but it's funny because I was reading um, this week's Young Avengers, mm-hmm. which I've, I've been enjoying Young Avengers all the way along. Right. Uh, this issue is like the final part of the current storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Gillen and McKelvey are essentially like wrapping a lot of shit up. Right. But they're setting up a lot of shit for the future. Mm-hmm. As well. It it's one of those like transition issues where they deal with all the cliffhangers, but really it's like, oh but wait till come what you see what comes next without it being like a, a cliffhanger. Right. Like you get you get a sense of closure throughout the whole thing. But it's the there's one point where there's such an amazing there's a two part uh foreshadowing for mm-hmm. Kate Bishop mm-hmm. that is so wonderfully simultaneously subtle and staggeringly unsubtle <laughs> that I was just like this might be my favorite thing in superhero comics. Like, th- this is just amazing because it's one of those things that you will either get it and be like, "Holy shit, that's really obvious," or you won't get it at all.
0: Wow, wow!
1: That I was, I, I loved. I really was like, that, "That's right." Like, people, most people don't do this. This is really, really, really fucking well done. Huh? And it's uh, there's also. Um, I, you're not, you've are not. you not been really keeping up with this book, right?
0: No, nope.
1: Um, so they brought in... God, I can't remember his name, because I am terrible like this. Um, <laughs> they brought in a new character who... Like, just in the storyline. Um, who... The cliffhanger of the previous issue, and I'm going to have to look for this now, um, was that he kissed uh, Hulkling. Mm-hmm. Prodigy. Prodigy is his character. He's an X-Men character. Mm-hmm. Um... That he, he kissed Hulkling. And Prodigy's power is that he basically... He's like rogue and he basically like absorbs other people's stuff. Right. Uh, but in doing that, he became bisexual. Which I thought was this really weird <laughs> speed thing. Because it's like, it's not just powers again. It's everything. So of course I'm bisexual. Because like I've had everyone else's emotional experience as well. <laughs> I, I just I don't know I, th- I thought that was such a like weirdly elegant way of just getting around the whole like let's have a serious talk about our feelings
0: uh, yeah I mean look, cause I'm like huh that seems like a really funny way to tweak the idea of being gay is contagious you know what I mean? Like, I'm sort of like...
1: I, I, I hadn't even thought about
0: that. <laughs> I was like, huh, I'm not sure if that's really the sort of... If that's the message, but okay, well, that's fine too. You know, it's... Um, that's
1: spectacular. I hadn't even thought about that, and I found that really funny. I, I now <laughs> want that to be the case. I'm like, <laughs> I, really, I really hope that was intentional. <laughs> well, uh... That, that appeals to me. I say yes. To that. But no, I think Marvel is doing really great books. Um, I've mm-hmm. been reading... Jason Aaron's Wolverine/X-Men, which I fucking love. It's just such a great, straight-up superhero book. It, it, and, and the the most recent issue in particular ends in a way that made like my little superhero heart sing in a way that no other superhero comic has done in ages. Wow, uh, it's just so upbeat. It's so upbeat. <coughs> mm-hmm. It gives everyone a happy ending, and then ends with an epilogue that's like there's more happiness to come, which I just fucking <laughs> love. Uh, not to spoil it, but I'm going to spoil it for everyone okay but uh, so it's it's one of those things that's been spoiled by solicitation
2: mm-hmm.
1: so uh brew, who is one of my favorite characters like the little mutant brew child who is like actually intelligent yes
0: the the nerdy uh, brew child
1: has, has in recent issues not been intelligent he's been just like evil like biting things monster thing mm-hmm. and he gets cured in this issue mm-hmm and he gets cured in such a ridiculous, like, Desai Machina way. Um, but their explanation is he bit one of the Banffs who have been around since the first issue. Mm-hmm. And he, it just re- returns him to normal. <laughs> and then the very last page is, I mean, it's clearly Nightcrawler, because we know Nightcrawler's coming back. Mm-hmm. Who's basically like, good job, BAMFs. Now hopefully they'll come and get me out from being dead.
2: <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome! <laughs>
1: killer
0: <laughs> that's great that's really great I, uh, I just
1: love it i love the idea that like they're just gonna bring back necrol Nightcrawler, and is just gonna be the guy who's like that's right i'm the superhero who thinks this shit is fun <laughs> let's be fun again everyone i am so on board with that
0: it's true it's true that would be actually really wonderful to see you know it's a shame i have i do have thanks because i really get the sense that a lot of a lot of I don't know how Wolverine and the x men sells in the marketplace, but among this podcast listeners, I think it sells quite well, so 'cause i <laughs> i there are times when I'll get multiple like hey, here's the code um and and I'm really behind like it's one of those situations where I need to sit down and, and you know this is the thing have you ever had that situation where it's like the issues just pile up and you're like, I gotta make a weekend to sit down and oh, pile oh, yeah. you, you know yeah. Nine times out of ten, I just and I don't do it. I just have to start reading and keep going, and then eventually work my way back. Or do you do what, that? Or? What I
1: get, yeah, no, I. What happens is, and this is this is really like, oh, woe is me. I have a terrible life. <laughs> I get well, I, as you know, I get comps from Valiant and I get comps from Dynamite. Right. And because of that, like I get everything they publish. Right. In single issues. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, like, I, until earlier this week, I was horrifically behind on everything Valiant sent.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I eventually just sat down and was like, okay, I'm just going to catch up in, like, Harbinger and uh, Bloodshot and, and Archer and Armstrong. In fact, I haven't even caught up in Archer and Armstrong. Um and Shadow Man and and all these books because I like them all. Right. (laughs) But I get them so often and, like, I don't have time to read them all the time. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, I will read things, I will prioritize things for work, for example. Right. Like, I got uh, this week's Justice League in the mail on Tuesday and I actually stopped what I was doing to read it because I was like oh this is the issue where they're supposed to kill off the Justice League I should read this because I might have to write about it tomorrow
0: right right exactly
1: and I was really disappointed because they don't kill it sorry spoilers they don't <laughs> kill off the Justice League in that issue and I honestly this is the thing I really enjoyed the issue and I honestly got to the end of it and I was like god damn it I'm not going to get a post out of this after all. <laughs> you know it's I so ridiculous
0: I should say and it would be probably be fun to talk about it a little bit but um before I went to the comic book store, Graham had emailed me about this. Um, I guess I should say I'm not talking to Graham now. <laughs> <laughs> to I, I do. Who this. are you talking? Who to? are? Why are you talking about me who like I'm not you? here? What's wrong? So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, listeners, Graham had said like, yeah, this is kind of a this is a really clever pun. I thought this was really clever. This little twist. And I'm like, okay. So I'll pick it up in the store. And I have to say, like picking it up and flipping through it. One of the things that impressed me was not just that little closing pun, but actually the fact that there were um, there were multiple moments in the book, like flipping oh, it's, through it's it.
1: Really, I think Trinity War has been a really fucking tight crossover, and I mm-hmm. think that final episode was really good.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was... think I think that
1: Johns really paid off not only the crossover, and it should be said, he pays it off in a way that. It's also really frustrating, because there's no fucking closure in that end, last issue. It actually ends with a cliffhanger, the fight's about to begin, yeah. which r- actually genuinely did piss me off. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything up to that is amazingly good. Mm-hmm. The the reveal of the traitor, the reveal of what's been going on with Superman, like all of it pays off and yeah. feels earned in a way that, let's be honest, a lot of DC Comics don't.
0: Yeah yeah it really had um it really was calculated and it it what was nice was it really had multiple payoffs and so flipping through it even without having read any of the issues I could tell sort of by the pacing the structure and the way the ideas were placed I was like oh okay there are you know it's 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 just designed to just push you yeah. propel you right through that book
1: and also, something that's really interesting is and I didn't realize this until this morning when I was basically tidying up my office um, There's a reveal in this issue of Justice League that pays off something that happened like five issues ago that you didn't even realize needed paid off
0: Really? Yeah Uh. Okay, I'm going to Can I'm I? Gonna, can, can I can you can tell me Yeah, poor poor, spoiled audience I'll put it in the show notes, I guess Okay, so
1: you you read the issue, right? No, not really. <laughs> okay, okay. So at some point, when they're revealing the traitor of the Justice League, which has been teased all along, right? They reveal there's two traitors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's the Atom.
0: Yes, who is oh, it's cyborg. The Atom
1: mm-hmm. of our three, and there's Cyborg mm-hmm. because Cyborg's robotic body has been essentially possessed by a computer virus. Yeah, so the computer virus is called the Grid. Yes, right, which pays off issue eighteen, the front cover of it. Yeah, the slogan is "Recruited by the Grid," and has Cyborg on it.
0: Nice.
1: And it reveals that the Grid, in again, this is back in issue eighteen. The Grid is essentially what Cyborg calls his robot half. Yes. And is what told him to recruit the Atom in the first
0: place. Uh, interesting. It's one of
1: those like, oh, you were you actually did this smartly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what the fuck? <laughs> that, that, like, I, I that's really interesting to me
0: yeah it's like that i remember seeing that page it was there were two pages like that the stuff with uh the outsider and his little parting lines just just a whole sketch yeah, of things it was it's like
1: it's really really nice
0: yeah yeah it's 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 you know it's good old goofy comics which i just i just absolutely love so um yeah I didn't pick it up because I was like oh, i'm not gonna pick up the rest of it but it's you know, I will look it's for the true. trade I'm going to pick up
1: part six. Not, yeah, it's it's really... It, with the exception of, like, one really weird moment that they then oddly pick up in dialogue. Huh. Um, like, they're, they, okay, so there's the six-part crossover in the Justice League books, and then there's, like, peripheral crossovers in Phantom Stranger, Constantine, and uh, Pandora.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And the Constantine one is... Pretty entirely throwaway, Right. Like, you can pretty much ignore it altogether. Um, The Phantom Stranger one, and to a lesser extent the Pandora one, though, are actually integral to the plot. Mm. And I have no idea why they were like, this is a six-hour story, and then you've got these tie-ins, because at least the Phantom Stranger one is really important. Mm -hmm. And it's also, like, surprisingly good. Hmm. Phantom Stranger is not a particularly good comic. Mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, uh, Dante was left and he's left it to J Dematius.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: James DeMatteis is like, "I know how to write tie-in comics. like i've been I've literally been doing this for three decades. I can handle this right um, and turns on this really, really solid issue. But in that issue, it requires Deadman to be there. And then the previous Justice League issue, he went off somewhere else. Okay? <laughs> and you have this, you have this line of dialogue where they're like, Dead man, I thought you went off somewhere else. And he's like, Yeah, that didn't pan out. And it's this really <laughs> weird moment where you're like, Why didn't you just like cause he you don't he doesn't have to go off with them in the previous issue? Do you know right. what I mean? Why didn't the editor catch that and be like, wait, just rub him out of the background? Because <laughs> it's not like anyone references him even.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that but was one really of those things. But, um,
1: yeah. but otherwise, it's a surprisingly uh, tight crossover, mm. and the the resolution w- was just great, and, and weirdly makes me optimistic for what DC's doing with Forever Evil in a way that I don't feel they deserved. <laughs> My optimism. Right. <laughs> Part of me's like, oh God, I don't like, I know what you're going to do with Forever Evil, and I don't like it. But after reading this, I'm kind of like, well, oh, maybe I don't know what you're doing. Because I I ended up being really impressed with Trinity War. Mm -hmm. I went in going, oh God, I know what this is going to be. And it just didn't. Mm -hmm. It continually zigged when I thought it was going to zag. And so a part of me is like, well, maybe Forever Evil's not going to be a mess. And then I'm like, oh, but wait, you've got some shitty people doing Forever Evil, so maybe it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I would not... I I I can't help but feel that that quality tends to work more or less in in isolation at DC. Although I could be wrong. Did you pick up the uh, the Batman Incorporated special or see it? I
1: uh, I yeah I got mailed it.
0: Oh okay. Um, what do you think? Did, did, you, did you get you chance it? to read? Yeah, I did. I picked it up. I picked it up.
1: Um, I thought there were bits that I really liked and there were bits that I didn't. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an anthology comic. <laughs> um, I I thought it was horrifically unnecessary unless they're going to try and relaunch Batman Incorporated
0: as a team book. I
1: don't... I don't, I don't get the point of it, I guess?
0: I, there, yeah, it, is a, it is an ultimately pointless book with the last page of, like, I, you know, what my... I have a crazy theory, and it probably won't pan out, that it was something along the lines of, like, back when they thought that they were going to... To like, maybe they were thinking about doing Batman Incorporated as a three ninety nine book or something, and they needed backup strips or something like that, and then changed their mind on it or something. You know, like it really has that idea of like weird inventory that I don't know why they would have to burn that off. You know, it, but maybe not. You know, someone like Joe Keating, for example, writing it gives gives me the idea that this was a relatively recent. Set of well, stories, I suppose. You know,
1: and and also, um, Joe Keating, is clearly wrote it after, yeah, at least midway through Batman Incorporated, because yeah, it's yeah. it's it picks up on a particular,
0: yeah, plot point. Plot point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. So I mean, I could totally be wrong i'm very i picked it up and it was kind of like oh this is it it gave me a very odd feeling which is kind of like i i still don't quite get why dc does what it does sometimes because even there even there they're like hey this is batman incorporated it's kind of a fun idea right that's why we're not going to do it like it literally is the last page is like well we're gonna do this no you know and it's i don't oh really
1: because I With the archive thing I thought that was Batman making the decision To keep it active
0: Oh I thought he was just Erasing them all together Without archiving them So Oh I
1: see I thought he No I I read it an entirely different way then well, What I thought was really right. funny Was that two page um, Sequence mm-hmm. You see that They credit everyone Apart from a writer for it Right
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. I was like, what is really weird? It's
1: like, like, so who wrote this? (laughs) Like, what what is the point of that? It's so weird. Everyone gets credited. Like, editors get credited for that two-page sequence, but the writer doesn't. Yeah. It's so weird. And also, having the thing at the back where it's like, here's Grant Morrison writing about his Batman run, was totally weird, because he's not... In any way involved in the book, and that really should have been in his last issue of Batman Incorporated.
0: They didn't even edit it. They're even like, "Well, here I am with one issue to go," and I'm like, "What is wrong with you, DC?" Like he literally, literally in the last paragraph, did you see that? Do I have that issue? No, I,
1: I, I, conclusion is finally here with only one issue to go. Yeah, Yeah.
0: with one issue to go, I'm like, "Well, you, you are fucking with the heads of people who don't, who just pick this up on a you know whim now."
1: What it might be is that he wrote like this was meant to come out before the uh, final issue.
0: Yeah,
1: it's that, that, actually an inventory, an inventory book.
0: Yeah, that's so kind of what in I was. Case it, right, in
1: case it was running late again.
0: Yeah, yeah, like almost like and that just, Burnham issue and they that just, they did.
1: Yeah, and they just used the Burnham issue instead.
0: Yeah, which um, I don't know.
1: Who, who knows? Who knows? Hey, talking about anthologies. Did you read the American Vampire anthology?
0: I did not. I did not.
1: Jeff Lesser, that was a surprisingly worthwhile chunk of, of comics, even for eight dollars. Really? Mhm. Um, I mean, the the creator list is to die for. Mhm. Uh, Jason Aaron, Gabriel Bá, Fabio Moon, Becky Cloonan, Ray Fox, Francesco Francovia, Jeff Lemire, JP Leon, uh, Rock is in there. Declan Shalvey's in there. Uh, Scott Snyder's in there. Raphael Albuquerque. I mean, it's a great yeah that's lineup.
0: A great list of names. Um,
1: and it's, it's really rarely, I think, uh, American comic creators show that they can do short stories. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, like, super short. Right. And this one is full of people who can do short stories. Mm-hmm. And so you just have, like, you know, four or five page really nice little vampire stories, hmm. which range from, like, horror to not-so-horror. Like, um, Lemire and Fox do Canadian vampire, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> um... <laughs> G- uh, Gail Simone's story is kind of surprisingly good. Yeah. And I don't say that in the sense of, like, Gail Simone sucks, but um, I would not have... I would not have sort of given her the... Huh, she's going to do, like, one of the more classic horror stories of this bunch. Hmm. I think. Uh, Greg Rocker gets to work with J.P. Leon, and so, you know, it that's just awesome.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, his... And
1: that, but that, and that's more of a like an old Henry type story, you know. It's like, a, wah wah wah! I didn't see this turnaround coming <laughs> at the last page. Um, but it's it's still really good. It's it's a really good comic. Hmm. It, it's one of those things where you're kind of like, ah. Oh, so I guess these guys can do anthologies.
0: Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I I think I almost I have a theory that it's possible that DC. If nothing else, I mean, because most of the guys, those people you talked about are established talents, but um, I I have very torn feelings because I picked up this. Uh, I don't know if you saw it on the stands, but... It's
1: uh, it's, it's Ventures of Superman number four. Ventures. Yes.
0: And um, holy shit, Graham, if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's almost worth grabbing because cause as we know, Adventures of Superman it is... Um, a digital anthology. Yeah, is basically a digital anthology. So for ninety nine cents every week you can get pick up a new digital adventure of Superman. What was and this is this is the print collection of those adventures. The thing that is interesting to me is is that this book was simultaneously so disappointing and so awesome at the same time. If you have ninety nine <laughs> cents, Graham let me it's, just it's a- it is this. Is
1: that the, the, um, oh, it's the Chris Weston issue. Yeah, the Chris sorry. Weston yeah, story. Oh, I, I, yeah, no, the I, I got, I got the Chris Weston story digitally, my friend, because <sighs> is not that fucking beautiful.
0: It is goddamn gorgeous. I mean, seriously,
1: Chris Weston. Chris Weston is one of those talents who I simultaneously feel like everyone who knows about him. Knows that he's just astounding, and yet he's still underrated.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and it's also just sort of a—he um, would have been the last person that I would have picked for Superman, and he is perfect. He is perfect. I yeah, mean,
1: it's—it's it, it, so good, and, it, and his Superman looks really classic for one of about mm-hmm. putting it. Oh, absolutely. There, there's something completely iconic, and perfect
0: about his Superman. Yeah, his Superman really is just, he manages to get that um, sort of square-jawed, classically handsome. He always throws in the spit curl for Superman. And very, Rob Williams, very who's the writer for the issue, I think very sensibly for the last three pages, just turns it into a just an all-out Silver Age Superman fest. Where it's like, you know it's like here's a giant luther bot in one panel here's president bizarro in another panel you know here's gorilla grodd and his winged ape army on in yet another panel and each one is just gorgeous now that being said and then the other two stories in here you've got uh there's there's p woods and tom de falco that's right Somewhere, maybe yes yeah. exactly and you've got dan uh abnett and lanning writing and Wes craig penciling with inks by craig young and it's it's also and beautiful colors actually I don't know if you can pick this up but a, can, a day in the, the life colors, yeah, yeah that, that alternates between uh, Luther and Superman and then of course have their, path, their paths cross and uh, uh, so how do I put it the thing that was great about it was on the one hand oh this is like reading classic Superman in a way that I really miss the yeah. drawback is is that every one of those stories was basically the same you know it was all yeah, it's, the, because,
1: it's because everyone wants to do their classic Superman and you're just left going
0: oh right exactly so it's like you have Superman do well but also I think it's a, this way to get around it, it. it's probably more heavily accentuated in the fact that that unlike other digital issues where you have a storyline that extends across three parts and basically fills up an entire book, these yeah. were like three, six-page, eight-page stories or whatever. And so there's you can't really progress Superman very well. So there's a lot of the, here's the people in the foreground and their story, and here's Superman doing his super stuff, and that's the background of the story. And Which,
1: to be fair, is the Silver Age format
0: it is the Silver Age format. But I, and so I get that. It's just, it needs, they, they need to bring something else to it, unfortunately. I mean, that was my thing. Is like, I picked up this issue. It was so gorgeous. I had these really strong feelings like, ah, Superman. And like, seriously, pay Chris Weston money and lock him down and get him to do Superman book. But at the same time, I also found myself being very, like, uh, worst, like you know, that idea of like, wow, the new Superman stuck in a rut, that's funny. Look back on these old days and feel nostalgic when the old Superman was stuck in a rut, you know? It's it's just
1: I <laughs> it's i I I'm very amused to see the new Superman stuck in a rut there, Jeff. Um I get I get lots of things in comps, as you know. Yes. And like like we were talking about before, it doesn't always go right straight away. Mm-hmm. Some of it literally just goes in a pile because shit happens. Uh and this sounds like a wonderful segue but it's not <laughs> one day I was uh, I was like you know I'm just going to deal with uh, just a- everything I've piled up oh they're Scott Lobdell's action comics here J- Jeff is making the greatest O face this is what I'm going to say right now Tyler Kirkham is drawing action right Scott Lobdell is, is uh, writing it mm-hmm. if it wasn't for Tyler Kirkham I'd actually recommend that comic to people
0: really Hmm.
1: Lobdell has and part of it is he's quite clearly fillering do you know what I mean like he's like I I wasn't supposed to write this book shit Addy Diggles walked off okay here's my quick three part like half-assed arc which is great
0: yeah
1: it's fun it's I mean it's it's literally Lobdell it's a shaggy dog story completely mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's he's brought in like he's basically trying to fill time with lots of badass Galactica
0: jokes of all things <laughs>
1: Uh, no, he brings in basically the Space Avengers, um, who are called the Pax Galactica.
0: Oh, yeah, right.
1: And they will say things, and then they're like, so say we all. <laughs> like, there. there's weird Vatisar Galactica jokes all the way through it. Um, but it's this weirdly enjoyable Superman comic that spends not as much time, but spends time with Clark as Clark. That's mm. um, just... It's it's difficult to look at because I swear to God Tyler Kirkham is not a great artist and right now has a terrible inker who's not hmm. doing his work any favours. Um, but as a as a read, and again, I got this for free. I didn't pay two ninety-nine for it, and that might skew my my reaction. Right. It's perfectly solid as a Superman story. Hmm. I mean, much it's it's enjoyable, which I was kind of surprised by to be honest.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Well, that is, and I
1: kind of, I kind of like Lobdell's current. I mean, he's going to launch into the absolutely atrocious. Please God, don't bring the Kryptonians back. Krypton return storyline, but I like his current thing, which is basically, you know, historically two things can affect Superman: Kryptonite and magic. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so what if I bring him nets to lots of telepaths? Because telepaths can fuck Superman up. Mm-hmm. And so, I, which is, you know, you've never really had a really strong telepath like, as threats for Superman's story
2: before. Right. So,
1: doing that and basically having it as not one, but a shit-ton of telepaths trying to take control of Superman hmm. is weirdly fun. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah, I was kind of like, huh, who knew? Turns out <laughs> Superman comics are actually not completely fucked. Uh, ironically, I read that and then read Superman Unchained,
0: the um, the Scott Snyder book. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Which and I haven't that, picked up since the first issue, I think. I was like...
1: Mm. That, that is just that is just continually not coming together for me mm-hmm. it, and and I'm you know I feel like he's trying it's so weird because his I know the feelings I now have about Scott Snyder's Superman are the feelings I had about Scott Snyder's Batman and his Batman is working <laughs> I'm like oh and now it's Superman that he's so close but he's just not quite getting
0: right right
1: it's like I'm fated to have one Scott Snyder book where I'm like, oh, everything's <laughs> in place, but it's not working for me. And it's just like, well, you, you like his Batman, now? well, might as well be Superman. It's so weird.
0: Huh. So what's going on in the book? Last time I checked in, which was, of course, the end of the first issue, they were dropping, an, you know, there was the, the idea they had dropped an atomic Superman on Japan back in World yeah, War II Yeah, so,
1: or so something. He, he's met he's met the atomic Superman now. hmm uh, and the Atomic Superman is basically a kind of friendly dude, huh. and he's like, "Hey, Superman, why don't you come and see where I hang out?" And he reveals all this this information, Superman. And the it's um it's always Lois's dad who is the military threat. And so Lois's dad is like, "Why the fuck are you telling him this? You can't tell him this." And the the, the Atomic Superman's like, "It's Superman. What's he going to do? Right? Like, really?" Like you uh, know, and then like there's a new disaster. Oh, by the way, Lex Luthor has escaped prison, and that seems to be going nowhere. But I'm sure it'll end up somewhere eventually. Um, but there is a new like it ends with a, a robots are attacking Tokyo, and Superman and the Atomic Superman go to uh, stop it. And it ends with the Atomic Superman going, "You're great. I really like you. It's a shame I'm going to have to kill you." End.
0: And end.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and it's like uh, you know. You're, you're making all the right motions for some
0: reason. It's just not working for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's a shame. I, I should mention, because this is just such a perfect segue, uh, another thing that is Superman-related and not working for them is the material that they collect and give to libraries. Well, I mean that they collect into trade and that libraries pick up. Because... Uh, Graham and whatnot. I picked up this, which is Superman The Forbidden Zone. Uh, nope, oh, The Phantom the Zone. Phantom Sorry, Zone. The Forbidden Zone would be awesome. It's Gerber.
2: It's right? the Gerber It's
0: Gerber. Yeah, it's Gerber. It's the four issue Phantom Zone trade paperback, uh, uh, four issue miniseries.
1: First DC miniseries
0: ever. Well, let me tell you, I'm shocked that it did not end up being the last because it is a big ball of bad acid now i mean i have to admit that it is
1: it's gerber of course it's a big
0: ball of bad acid it's weird it's really weird because um okay so here's the thing like there's two things that i think are really important to to, for me to to preface this with which are that a uh, i love steve gerber b I know that Gerber was a huge Superman fan. Like, the the George Reeves TV show is what got Gerber basically into superheroes and sort of led to him working in comics, and he has talked about what a huge influence it is. So there was part of me, it's like, because I was buying comics when this first came, when the miniseries first came out, and I never bothered with it, because I was just, I think I was maybe reading, you know, New new Teen Titans at the time, and that that was it. Um picking so and and the other qualifier that i should say is is that they collect this last issue of um dc comics presents which is superman and the phantom zone criminals which i read this and it it i was like what the fuck was that like it was just this weird strange super pooping uh like at the at the end of it you Convince me to pick this up. Oh, you have to. First off, let me just say you have to pick this up, Grime. It is—it's so strange. First off, I love Gene Colan, but that guy drawing Superman stuff is so goddamn strange. Like, it there's just it there's nothing that's sort of less uh, silver agey. Like, then this, like, Phantom Zone shot of, like, you know, General Zod and all the rest of the dudes. Like, so Gerber clearly knows his Superman. He knows his Kryptonian history, uh, you know, from the Tales of Krypton backups and stuff, because there's lots of mentions made to, you know, the, I don't know, the flame volcanoes and the crystal gem beasts and all that stuff that you read about during the Silver Age. So, the. The basic gist of it, and also the gist of it is great, because what happens is it centers, it opens up centering around what you figure is going to be a very standard Steve Gerber trope, which is sort of the mis- the miserable schmuck. And in this case, the miserable schmuck is Charlie Queskel, who is the paste-up artist for The Daily Planet. And you see him getting chewed out by Perry White, basically for, you know... Um, falling asleep at his job and he's been having bad dreams and what have you so Charlie is ordered back home by Perry White and that's where you find out that Charlie is in fact a dude a Kryptonian who ended up in the Phantom Zone because he'd been wrongly accused and convicted of a crime had gotten out of the Phantom Zone and had his powers and memory stripped from him with gold kryptonite so, none of this is referenced with a oh single God. solitary footnote. So, I'm assuming that this is Gerber pulling off of old history, but it fits him so well. And what ends up happening is General Zod and the other Phantom Zone criminals are able to take control of his mind because he is a Kryptonian and because he's sort of weak and addled and get him to build a Phantom Zone... Uh, Ray Generator that basically at the penultimate moment swaps, throws Superman and uh, Charlie into the Phantom Zone and brings out General Zod and like six other Kryptonian crazies into the real world. And that's the first issue. Like, that is the actual first issue. That also is spectacular. It Graham, it is spectacular, but then it's like, so... (laughs) the the main thing that drove me insane was is is that they are stuck in the phantom zone and they're like how are we going to get out of here and Monel, who's there is like well listen i can tell you that there's a there is a pathway out of the phantom zone and and superman's like why would the phantom zone have a back door like how what good is that as a prison he's like well it's not so much a back door as it is like there's a wall to the back of the phantom zone and we don't know what's behind it so superman and his companion go out to the edge of the phantom zone and go beyond it and then essentially end up at war with the bad crazy acid head nightmare that is the uh, uh, basically the devouring god spirit called ether um
1: oh, man. called ether
0: yeah called called ethers <laughs> like you know and he's just like oh
1: man oh oh seriously jeff this is great
0: it is this, it well, is fantastic honestly
1: what, what you're telling me is this DC published a limited series DC, DC created their limited, limited series format because Steve Garber wrote a three part Superman story and they were like this is too fucking weird to put in a Superman comic, we'll just put it out in its own thing
0: I, j- I just wish that Chris wanted to it okay so let me show you one thing this is the splash page for issue 4 right, do you see this oh punk band? Yes, yes. alright, I'm reading is the first
1: is, is she actually singing Superman you're a party pooper?
0: No, she's singing Supergirl you're a party pooper Supergirl, Supergirl you're a potty girl. poopa. Wanna woman, you're a potty poopa. It's actually spelled Wanna. Wanna woman. And let also, me.
1: Also, you're singing. Can we just. Like, everyone who wants to make a ringtone for part of this show. Dev <laughs> yeah, doing that right there. Because he did actually, like, get into character, which, which was spectacular.
0: I got into character. So. Let me, let me read you the first three captions, and this will, this will actually convince you to go out and, and get this right now, Graham. But let me read it, because it okay. really is brilliant.
1: I'm I just going to, like, get off the phone, then. That'll be great. I'll be like, okay, see you, Jeff.
0: Yeah, you just sort of, it'll be just your chair spinning in circles. Beyond punk, beyond new wave, beyond modern lies the musical cultural movement known as bizarro. It originated here in Metropolis, naturally, and its basic tenet asserts that anyone born after nineteen sixty one is an imperfect duplicate of a human being. If that if you have to ask what that means, you were born probably prior to nineteen sixty one. So I just love the idea that his version of punk Oh my god. Is great.
1: Oh my Oh my god.
0: Anyone born after 1961 is an imperfect duplicate of a human being.
1: And you are complaining about this? Okay, so... You're telling me that this... What?
0: So here's the thing, Graham. I have to tell you. I love this, but, like, never has there been a trade paperback release that needs annotations as badly as Superman, (laughs) The Phantom Zone. Because not only do you have this four issues where, okay, you can more or less make sense of it, even after you basically have, you know, Superman you know, not just battle the Phantom Zone criminals, but he essentially has to stop, you know, fight the, the bad acid trip that is God. But, um, the the Superman and the final chapter of the Phantom Zone criminals is basically a sequel to this that, as far as I can tell, was Steve Gerber's idea of where he was going to take his Superman pitch from from yeah. everything that he'd put set up there. When I read that Epilogue. I didn't know about the first four issues. So it makes no fucking sense. It's got Rick Veach art, so it's lots of, like, pictures of, like, Jor-El looking sweaty uh, as he discovers really, the Phantom Zone. And Oh, my God. See, all of that is spectacular. And that, but, so, so it ends. I don't know if you remember this issue, but by the end of this issue, like, Bizarro's, like, you know, um... Uh, Mr. Mitzelpluk has been uh, possessed by the very same Aether, the mad acid god whose, uh, whose herald is basically a melted face Kryptonian wizard um, oh my god. and has possessed it and and not only like filled up Mr. Mitzelpluk's entire dimension with like garbage goo but ends up taking all of Argo City and throwing it at the earth so that Superman has to punch through it and it ends up seeding the entire ground. Like, everything gets, you know... Kryptonian gases poisoned all throughout Metropolis and stuff. So Superman is unbelievably frail. And on top of that, Mr. Mitzelplik has been turned into an insane uh, psychopath. And Bizarro has decided in in perfect logic that because the Bizarro Earth is blown up that he is going to launch his son to the center of the planet so that he will be the first to die and then afterwards Bizarro's head ends up exploding off the planet and landing like John the Baptist's head in the middle of Daily Planet for people i mean there's so much concentrated crazy in this that that gerber's trying to work in and in addition he is basically attacking the concept of sheer narcissism by having ether the the basically god that existed before the universe um to essentially try and figure out why he exists so you have panels with him going, ripping, biting, piercing, cold, and the self is the self is the self. In fact, that's an actual panel right there. The self is the self is the self.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
0: Now, interestingly enough, I'm actually half convinced that, so, and this is why it needs to be annotated, is is that Gerber is talking about... A being of sheer narcissism who cannot conceive of anything else, like an utter solopsistic state with godlike power that ends up destroying everything. So it makes sense. He's talking about John Byrne, you know? Uh he's 'Cause clearly, of course really? is, is he
1: or are you maybe just stretching a little bit with that?
0: No, I don't he's already call he's already spoofed John Byrne as Rooster Cogburn, you know what I mean? In Destroyer Duck, right? So he's already he and John Byrne are not exactly what you would call like best friends, right?
1: But sure, but all, all I'm saying is there are other narcissists out there.
0: Yes, but this is the narcissist that destroyed the Superman universe that's the important part. He's writing the last, this is the last issue of DC Comics. It is actually, his last little panel is Superman staying there going like, well, Mr. Mitzelplug got the last laugh at all. And it's like, the ultimate end. And Mr. Mitzelplug has been, part part of what makes Mr. Mitzelplug flip out and go crazy is, is the fact that because he's always just done mischief, no one can understand that that he is actually the the greatest of uh, of all of the 5th Dimensional Imps, basically. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to have to show them, like, you know, people would know that I'm the best, or maybe it's like he wouldn't know that I'm the best. Basically, Mr. Mitzelplink becomes a becomes this utter narcissist gets gets basically gets brainwashed by this universal free-floating solopsism and becomes convinced that in order to show that he's the best of everyone and everything he has to destroy the superman mythos he's clearly talking about john byrne there i'm sorry that's just that's text at that point. Historically, that's what happened. That's literally what happened, Graham. It make the the comic book makes no sense combined next to the four issues of the Phantom Zone that preceded it because of this weird state of consciousness meditation on what it means to be a self centered dickhole, as pulled I, through the point of a cosmic crystal consciousness, mind you. But
1: I I I cannot argue with you because I've neither read the comic book nor am I Steve Gerber. I'm just saying it is not necessarily exactly
0: what you're describing. Sure. But anyway, the point that I'm right aside, (laughs) the thing that drives me crazy is, is like, I know all that. But if you were like some schmuck who was like, oh, the Man of Steel, I like that. You go to the library and you're like, oh, Superman, Phantom Zone, I should pick that up. What the fuck? Like, seriously, this is not like this is. You have to be like, you have to have a crazy beard like me and be insane what, what, about what is, comics to come up with what, anything yeah, with back. that. What was the blurb in the back? Uh, humane alternative to capital punishment or dimension without hope. Long the repository of. Krypton's most incorrigible criminals, the Phantom Zone was left abandoned for countless years after the destruction of Superman's home planet. Now, however, the release of a single inmate from the Zone will trigger the greatest prison break the galaxy has ever seen and spell doom for everyone on Earth. Only the Man of Steel can hope to stop the onslaught of Krypton's most powerful evildoers, but while Batman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and the rest of the Justice League strain to hold back this rising tide of super mayhem, Superman must make a far more dangerous journey to save his adopted world by escaping the inescapable Phantom Zone and cheating death itself! Legendary writer Steve Gerber and acclaimed artists Gene Colan, Tony DiZeniga, Rick Veach, and Bob Smith journey into the unknown in Superman Phantom Zone, collecting the original four-issue of the Phantom Zone miniseries together with the final chapter from the dimension-shattering series finale of DC Comics Presents, which is all about John Byrne being a dickhole. Oh, there it is. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was my own idea, it's right there on the back of the book Anyway, my point being, apart from being right Is That Like seriously, someone who picks this up Is going to be fucked in the head Maybe for life But
1: here's the thing DC Comics uh, have a very interesting uh, Idea Of what to release to tie in with things
0: Yes I think that was my original point But please continue
1: No, 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 no. But I, I'm agreeing with you. But I'm saying this is this is the first. This is not the first time this has happened. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, "Hey, we've got." I mean, what did they put out? Didn't they put out Super Sons to go along with
0: Superman Returns? <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> they think probably they probably did. Know. They probably did. Yeah. So it's this weird thing of like we have a movie coming out, and we know the libraries are going to order material that we sell them to tie in with this. So let's, let's
1: put out the weirdest fucking shit. Yeah,
0: that people have been wanting yeah. us to reprint forever. And I'm like, on yeah. the one hand, for people like you and me, it's it was it's great awesome. to be able to yeah. read that. But seriously, like as a work of comic book outreach, like it really was like um like I just don't know how anyone who was interested in the Man of Steel or Superman or anything would respond to that unless they also had like an amazingly good medical marijuana, uh prescription that they were using a lot. If you see what wow. I'm saying,
1: I do see what you're saying. Thank, thank you for <laughs> leaving it.
0: So no, 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 it's now. a little nuanced. So give you give it a second.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I got um I got the new hardcover of Batwoman, and just to complete just to complete about uh. DC Comics and their collections policy again. Sounds great. So it, collects issue, it collects issues 0 and issue 12 through 17.
0: Wait, okay. the first issue 0 or the second issue 0? Just because I'm going to be difficult. Zero. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
1: okay, here's the best part. So when it was originally published as, as individual issues, it went issue 12, issue 0, issue 13, issue 14, issue 15, issue 16, issue 17. Right. Issue 12 and issue 13 are parts 1 and 2 of a continued story. Yes. What order do you think they come in in the collected edition? <laughs> That's right everyone. The order they were published, which means in your collected edition it really goes part 1, flashback to the origin of the character, oh part God. 2. Good job DC Comics, that was great. There's no way you could have fixed that, and put that <laughs> <like> together. <laughs> Phew. It's, it's really. I honestly realized that and I was like, oh, you fucking moron. Seriously, <laughs> like, you just were like, well, this was the order it was published in. Oh my god. What's hilarious is the um, they also sent me the. What's it called? Rise of the Third Army Green Lantern Collection.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which,
1: which collects all the issues of the crossover. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's issues from Green Lantern, from Green Lantern Corps, Green Lantern New Guardians, right. Red Lanterns. Okay? They've ordered that properly. Mm hmm. It, that's not a publication order. That's right. an order of storyline. So why they couldn't do it for Batwoman, I have no
0: fucking idea. Right, right. Well, is it possible? Did twelve? That they,
1: that they don't care.
0: There's that. No, I don't. I don't remember. Was it? Was twelve like the the real start of a new storyline, or is it possible yes. that issue eleven ended on a cliffhanger and it moves into issue twelve? Like they issue had to 12... open it. Yeah.
1: It, no, issue twelve is part one. Issue 13 is part two, and they were separated by uh, right. issue zero.
0: And then they and published they, it.
1: And like, they wait. still are.
0: Good grief. That is so bad. I
1: know. It's, it's ridiculous, ridiculous behavior.
0: Well, so how was it? Because as I recall, I basically jumped ship. I might have made it to zero a month, but I mean, I love looking at what? the art, but I was so tired of it.
1: Well, what is hilarious is before I got the third collection in, mm-hmm. uh, I reread the first and second collection. I didn't even know the third collection was coming in. Um, and I the first collection, I was like, this is really solid. This is much better than I remember it being. Mm-hmm. And the second collection was so bad. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how quickly it went from, this is kind of interesting. It's slow as shit. It is the slowest fucking book on the planet. Yeah. Um, but like the first collection, which is, I think, the first five issues,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was like, you know, there, there's a lot here. J. H. Williams art is glorious. Yeah. But, you know, but there's some nice character work going on here. I really like this. And then the second collection is dire. Mm -hmm. Just absolutely fucking dire. Mm -hmm. Um, And just dire in ways that I didn't even expect either. It's not just that there's, I mean, the plot is horrendously slow. Horrendously slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, Amy Reader's art, and Amy Reader's normally great, Amy Reader does not come off well in that book at all. I don't know if it was an anchor or whatever happened. Yeah. But her art looks terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I don't know um, what it was. I felt, feel like... I, I sort of wonder if, like, maybe they made her, like, redraw a lot of pages to make them seem more Williams-ish or something, but it just... Yeah, but,
1: like, but it, here's the thing, it just doesn't either. Like, mm-hmm. it, it just looks terrible. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's terrible in, in, like, there's one panel in particular where, like, she's got Batwoman... Uh, just standing up mm-hmm. and the proportions are so fucking up. I mean, it's like, oh, it's like, Batwoman is now a large-headed midget. I mean, it's, it's, it's appalling. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like, Amy Reader is normally much better and much sharper. I have no fucking idea what happened to her in Batwoman, but it was right. clearly not a good experience for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the second collection is so appallingly bad, mm-hmm. and then the third collection comes along and hilariously. So the first two collections are essentially telling one story, right? Which is there, like there are monsters in Gotham and they are stealing children. Yes. The third collection was then like, uh, and you know, then we're going to team up with Wonder Woman. <laughs> I, I mean, it's continuing the story because we're like the monsters have mythical elements, blah blah blah. But it's really it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh. And, then, yeah, again, it it's sort of underscores the what is great about Batwoman is J.H. Williams' art. And what is bad about Batwoman is everything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they just... Yeah, it just... It's it's really funny. You, you come away from it just being like, J.H. Williams is a great artist. The end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Uh, and, the- and even then, like, his... He tries to do one Woman in a Cliff Chang style. Mm-hmm. Because you know how he loves to, like, ape other artist styles for different characters? Right. And that doesn't quite work. Hmm. It's really odd. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I just... uh, I don't know, you know, it's funny because... How do I put it? I guess William's art is so phenomenal that it is really hard to talk any smack about him or it, but considering the fact that he was involved in the writing and the plotting of the issues... You have to attribute some of the global that that glacial storytelling has to you know is right at his feet, and I felt like the characterization was bad and ham handed, oh, and you,
1: you realize just and the issues without him, mm-hmm. you realize just how much his art was building everything up. Yeah, and so when you come back for that third volume, even with his art, you are painfully aware of yeah. the the downfalls of the writing. Mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm painfully aware yeah. of just how I don't even know if lazy is the right word, but just how much is not there. Mm-hmm. There there is a lot that just does not make sense. Yeah. The the character work just I mean it's it's very much a case of the characters are doing this because the the writers want them to. Exactly. But exactly. but they're doing it so slowly because the characters think. The writers think that they're devoting it to that same character and they're not
0: yeah it's a really interesting thing they're like well we've got lots of pages of you know Kate and Maggie being on a date so clearly this is going to like make you believe yeah. in them or their relationship or the, tell who this they are
1: characterization right and both of them are ciphers
0: yes exactly they're both cardboard cutouts it's really and I think that really was a fascinating thing for me to see to see how people, like it's, it to me, it's like it. I guess it's amateurish, it's not lazy. It's like they think they're doing it, they just don't understand what's actually there. You know what I mean? It's, yeah,
1: they, do, they don't understand what it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it would be kind of like, um, uh, well, like it, it's like if suddenly I woke up and was gifted for like 24 hours with the ability to draw like J.H. Williams. It still wouldn't work right you know what I mean like even though I had the skills I wouldn't have the fundamentals there so they just in some weird way do not have the fundamentals there for, for what we think of as you know writing and storytelling um, you know at least when it comes to character and thematic issues and stuff and it's so it's like <sighs> it,
1: it's such a shame because when Rucka and Williams were doing it at first yeah it was just so good
0: yeah well, it really was. It really was. It was. It, it it made it look very easy. You know what I mean? It, and yeah. I, so much so that I think people like Williams and the editor were I, able I'm, to be. I'm.
1: I am so curious what the response would have been to the new fifty-two version of the series without Rucka if the Rucka issues hadn't existed. I wonder how much goodwill really floated them through that first arc.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I it's it's a good question. It's a really good question. I, it's it's tough because I feel like Williams's art generates so much goodwill on its own. But yeah. I certainly know a lot of people who were you know gaga for that original first series, and I think it was when it ran in Detective. And I think it was really easy to forget to, to to sort of minimize Rucka's role in it. I think even for people who think was, of themselves it's, it's as Rucka because- fans.
1: Well, that's just it. It's, it's actually weirdly like the Hawkeye series, where the art is so phenomenal mm-hmm. that you're like, yeah, the writing's great, but have you seen what it looks like?
2: Yeah, right, exactly. You know,
1: where, where you do uh, consciously or otherwise minimize the writer, because mm-hmm. you're like, holy shit, I just can't look at this book without having an orgasm.
0: Right, right, exactly. Well, and I, I, it's it's a shame. I really do wish that we were... Uh, that, that that so many people in comics fandom were... Better about that sort of thing because my problem is is when I'm not doing it for the writer, I'm turning around and doing it for the artist. You know what I mean? Like we really have. A, um, it's it's very difficult to think of it as you know a joint product. You know, and um, well,
1: what's really interesting for me now is that it's really difficult to think about it as a joint product, and it's simultaneously easier to see the results. Of collaboration Mm -hmm. and more difficult to think of them as results of collaboration when you have, uh, to an extent, DC, but definitely Marvel, the book belongs to the writer and artists revolve in and out.
0: Right. Do
1: you know what I mean? So you're like, you know, I think that whatever. Uh, I think that, um, okay, Al Ewing's Mighty Avengers, Mm -hmm. right? We're like, it's, you know, I think this is great. Uh, but, and you're seeing lots of people being like, but I don't want to read it because I don't like Greg Land, but I'll just pick it up when Greg Land leaves. Right. You know, and, cause they're just, it's, so those issues, like, get discounted immediately.
2: hmm. hmm.
1: You know, or, um, I was going to say, uh, Kieran and Greg Land's Iron Man, but I don't just want to keep picking on Greg Land. Right. Um, but, you know, there are artists, or, okay, or, um, Francis Manipal and Brian Butchelel's, um, Flash
0: mm-hmm.
1: when France isn't drawing it, people are like, eh. right,
0: right, right. And they right. kind
1: of check out. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's it's a it's a very odd thing. Yeah, I think. But you, I, I, use it, but, but also emphasizes how important the collaboration
0: is when yes. it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially well, yeah. When it's there, it's invaluable, and it's something you just can't. You just can't divide it up easily, you know? It's it's Actually, it's one of those things that is pretty interesting for us to be talking about the day after Jack Kirby's birthday, in a way. Because I feel like, actually, all the Kirby celebrations were really, really fantastic. But uh, there were various points where, I don't know, at least for myself, um, uh, there was somebody who was like, hey, you know, something along the lines of, like, Were Lee and Kirby the Lennon and McCartney of comics? I think there was some Bleeding Cool or something. I saw
1: the headline of Bleeding Cool, and I didn't read the story.
0: No, I didn't either, because I was just like, no, moving on. You know what I mean? Like, it was just kind of, hmm. But there is the fact that Lee did bring a special something to that. Those works are very different, you know, um, for having Lee on there. He, he, He brought something to the mix, you know what I mean? Even though I would not go to Lennon and McCartney territory even if you paid me to make that comparison you know what i mean so comics collaboration is weird and arguably unnatural i mean i don't know that's one of those weird things that um you know back in the day comics were done by like one person and then it was very much the you know semi-industrialized nature of the beast that led them to to chop it all up so that writers could sit there and churn out a bunch of pages and then pencillers could you know be handed art to do and sometimes multiple artists would work on you know one product and then it would come out under one person's name like you know, Bob Kane or Will Eisner or you know like the Fox Studio or something like that it's it's just a weird process
1: and it's it's just continually being chopped down Mm -hmm. all the more and all the more. So now you get to the point where you do have, like, it's the writer's book and the artist's cycle in and out.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, or something like DC where it seems like
0: it's the editor's book, you know? Yeah, exactly.
1: Authorship becomes this really weird thing.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... I don't know. It's, you know, it's one of those situations, like, obviously I'm just mumbling about it like a crazy person, but it's... It's, like, such an important topic, I feel like, for comics, to, ha- for mainstream comics in particular, to try and have to address. Um, and yet, honestly, which for the most part it has not, and yet it's an unbelievably complex topic to talk about, you know, honestly or otherwise. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just a mess. Hey, speaking of Kirby, this is sad, but I picked up the trade paperback
1: Oh, the trade. Okay.
0: Yeah, the only I don't thing I
1: already th- own that
0: I do, dude. I do. That's what's sad about it. I own the hardcover. Wait, you
1: own that, and you bought the paperback anyway.
0: And I own the individual issues, Graham. Let's not let's not mince why? around. Why? The individual issues. I mean. D- d- yeah. No, 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 I know. It sounds insane. I know. It sounds insane.
1: Why the hardcover? Why the hardcover and the paperback?
0: Because the hardcover got packed away somewhere, and I really wanted to read some OMAC. And it was in the store, and it was Jack Kirby's birthday, so I bought it. <laughs> Isn't that stupid? Like, that's the stupidest reason.
1: <laughs> I wish I had as much money as you clearly do. That's I, all I'm saying.
0: No, see, this is the horrible I, thing. I
1: genuinely do.
0: I know. I don't. I don't. Which is bad. Which is really bad. I mean, I was just like, ah, oh, but I'll... But, you know, in my brain, I was like, well, maybe we'll give one of these away somehow at some there's point. Stuff, there's the stuff trade. that
1: I've never like, I've never read that I want to buy, that I can't afford to buy. And you're buying second copies of a collection of stuff you already have the issues of.
0: Yeah, it sounds weird when you put it like that, Gram. But no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. It's bad. It's weird. But let me tell you, this was a great read yesterday. I sat down and speed read through all eight issues of it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. OMAC is amazing. OMAC is. Actually, did we even say what the book is? Jeff bought Jack Kirby's
0: OMAC. I think I I just held it up and he mocked me. So there we go. For people who are wondering what the mystery mocking was about, I bought the trade paperback of Jack Kirby's OMAC One Man Army Corps, all eight issues of it. Uh, I already own the hardcover that came out earlier, and years ago I bought the issues off of eBay. The the I, only I, I problem for you. yes hmm? yes
1: how much how much is the paper buy
0: it's nineteen ninety nine okay so you know I'm kind of like I was sort of like well you know it's not really twenty dollars yes it is <laughs> well I do have a slight uh, discount on comics experience so that that did bring it down a little bit but still do I already have the issues yes did I buy this literally because I did not have the issues in the room within easy reach I did. And that's, and I admit, that is a drag. But OMAC number one is my idea of, is basically the perfect comic. Oh,
1: it's, it's a perfect comic, yeah.
0: It really is. OMAC number
1: one is is stunning.
0: Oh my god, I love it so much. I think the only problem with all the issues, the only problem with OMAC number one is it's so good, he never manages to equal it in the next seven issues, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: He, in in many ways, he could have just stopped after that first issue, and we'd all be like,
0: "It was the greatest thing." Yeah, because it really is. It's just this. Um, it's perfectly told, and it really is perfectly. Um, it, it just it, it 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 just is like it's like methamphetamine for your imagination. You just read that first issue, and you are so excited by the all the ideas that he throws in it, and it and it and dramatizes perfectly. And then the other issues, by the time you start getting... Although, every time I reread them, I get uh, uh, a little sort of more fond of OMAC, sort of like Mark Evanier says oh, in his... I I, I love OMAC.
1: I think OMAC is, is just wonderful. And I reread OMAC all the fucking time. It's the Kirby I reread most.
0: Yeah, and that's it. I realize, like, is probably the one that I reread the most, but I, I was like, I have to have this. The story with Mr. Big, where Mr. Big rents the city, is also so prescient, you know what I mean? Like, it really is. When he's talking about the super rich, and basically how they're able to buy a city, and it, admittedly it's bought so that they can shut down the OMAC project, but with all those revelers running around i mean i'm because for me it's like this is this is so on point like i live in san francisco where larry ellison got the world cup here just so that he could you know just so that he wouldn't have to stay in a hotel when his world cup team was running the world cup he like changed the rules fucked everything up so that barely anyone could qualify and it's also like bernie man which is kind of happening right now because there's these like in the story there's like these balloons floating over the 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 um city and like gifts being dispensed everywhere and it's like courtesy of Mr Big and i'm like wow it's so it's so burning man without being burning man and then yeah you know we have these things where it's like oh there's there's somebody that we've decided is an entire this dictator, who we decide is a criminal, and we're going to bring him in. Like, there's this weird, like, his name is Kafka. It might as well be Saddam Hussein, but it is. It's the other thing that's fascinating to me. The one thing that I think is interesting to me is is that Kirby is so is working so quickly that he is aware that Omac and everything that Omac stands for is basically nightmarish and yet he doesn't really he doesn't paint it that way which only makes it that much more troubling like reading Omac is a lot like reading a fever dream where you realize that everything is wrong but it's like one of those dreams where nobody acts like everything's wrong you know what i mean yeah yeah so
1: it's um talking about you buying the issues on eBay Yes. The other week, and I, I didn't get them, and I'm really sad about this. They were selling the entire run of uh, Captain Victory oh. on eBay, and it, it, it was not that expensive. Man, yeah, it was like it was like fifteen dollars for the thirteen issues. Like it was some, it was crazy cheap.
0: Yeah, I got to get that, and I've got to get Destroyer Duck. I'm actually kicking myself for like not having bought Destroyer Duck before now. Because when, you know, again, that was a book that was coming out from Eclipse when I was buying comics and even buying indie comics. And it was just too weird for me. And now, of course, I'm like, oh my God, why don't I have that yet?
1: Exactly. Gerber and Kirby? Come on. Yeah, I know.
0: Yeah. So.
1: But uh, it's it's, so OMAC issue one, I think ties in really weirdly with um, 2001 that he he then went on to do for, for Marvel. Yeah. I think I think when Kirby went sci-fi, before he started thinking of... Because I think Omak eventually becomes a superhero, for want of a better way of putting it. Right. And when Omak is pure sci-fi, like 2001 is, he's, Kirby's fascinating with science fiction. Mm-hmm. Kirby's mm-hmm. fascinating with, like, this is the future. Because he doesn't... You're right, he doesn't really come across as, like, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. But all of his science fictions, all of his futures, are kind of horrendous.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All of them are essentially we have destroyed what is important about uh, about us as humans, right? In a rush to 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 innovate, mm-hmm. and I don't know if Kirby didn't see it as horrible, right? And was just like we're pushing it forward, we're pushing ahead. Because I mean, he says in the I think it's the first issue of two thousand one, he, he has a, a letters page, and he's essentially like we're all going to end up as a Star Child, like it's a good thing, you right. know? And it's like what? Mm-hmm. No, so it's possible that he didn't see all these things that he was coming up with as horrible, mm-hmm. but he he kept coming up with these terrifying visions of the future, which ended up being kind of true.
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. You know,
1: you can't, you can't read OMAC without being like, "Oh shit."
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's
1: kind of us. You can't read like is it issue five of two thousand one. Oh my
0: god, the Hero City one.
1: Yes. Yeah. You can't read that without being like, "Oh shit!" That's that's today's pop culture. Yeah. You know, he just, he kept on putting his finger on the pulse of something that was happening 30 years from then. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And 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 doing it in such a way that, you know, at the time you're probably like, crazy, wacky science fiction ideas. And then you read it now and you're like, this is horrendous.
0: It, it's even, even reading it two years ago, there was part of me that was like... Mm, the, the OMAX stuff was the part that I, that really resonated with me and then when he goes on and has his various adventures, I'm like I don't care so much about these adventures and they don't seem especially prescient and then I'm rereading it I'm like, oh, okay, here's the drone aircraft, here are the water wars, you know it's just, vari- you know, here's the climate change, you know it's all kind of, it's all weirdly on point in this way that is, um well, you remember that one picture that I had that I loved—that picture of Commandi, where it's the Dolphin City of the Future—and I'm like, "Hey, it's the Internet," and it was. It's just, it's, it's that weird thing about Kirby is like he will get everything wrong, but be absolutely correct at the same time. You know what I mean? Because yeah, it's like
1: he'll get he'll get all the details wrong, but he will be spiritually spiritually correct.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: In a way that you read it and it resonates so. Closely yeah. to the reality
0: mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. it's not
1: like, huh, that's kind of that thing You're like, oh shit, that's it Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly Exactly, yeah, it, it is It's like, once you realize it You're like, oh my god So, um, that was just an amazing read Actually, it's really funny I read that and uh, The End of the Fucking World um, By uh, Charles, oh, Charles Forsman. Forsman Yeah, exactly, the, the issue Because I think, I you know If somebody had asked uh, uh whatnot either in a comment thread or a letter it asked if we were ever gonna talk about the ending of it, the finale of of the book. this is my not so clever segue in a way, uh, except that I read the two of them you know side by side. and I had to confess because I had been reading end of the fucking world in individual issues and that at some point lost an issue and missed an issue in the middle, so I didn't like finish reading it essentially so this was my, my one chance to basically have it all in one place and read it um, and it's interesting because I, I was sure that reading a you know an 8 page mini comic that I would buy every month over the course of you know 13-14 months or something um, that has its own appeal that wouldn't necessarily hold up in the trade but the trade paperback is a very strong little book You know it is very much a um you know it's a weird it's a weird sort of well it's great they have some really good quotes on the back here from like alec berry and tim uh callahan uh as well as eddie wright but uh when alec berry says that it's um a version of bonnie and clyde bled through the lens of gus van zandt's paranoid park i thought that was a really lovely little description you know it's it's a crime comic it's very much like badlands or bonnie and clyde but it's also such a you know the kids are not all right comic at the same time in a way that doesn't actually feel preachy that actually just feels very sad and spare and grim and it's interesting the last the very last um issue feels like it's Mm, at first I thought it was very anticlimactic but I have to say I I feel like overall thinking about it more the book is kind of haunting and really a strong read for people who have heard us talk about it if you're thinking about getting the trade it holds up really well as a trade
1: well you've just convinced me to get the trade
0: my friend yeah you should pick it up it would be be fun to sort of discuss it with you and see if you, you have the same sort of feeling about it or not
1: But that's just sadness.
0: But if I'd say, if you two just lose the will to live, yeah, exactly, Graham. If you just lie there and go, um, have you been reading Batman sixty six or no?
1: What's the point? Uh, I last I read was last uh, is second issue of print. I haven't. I'm I'm horrendously
0: behind on digital stuff.
1: Well, it's not that that far because they rush it it
0: right in, don't they? Like every three issues or something like that. So the
1: last. The last story I read was the Jonathan Case one with Cersei singing.
0: Oh gosh, is that that's still not in the first arc? You're right. That's got to be at the end of right. So they probably have done another because there was a two part story by um, Ty Templeton. Uh no, uh, Quinones. The the the, well, I think you're like you're talking about Ty Templeton. The one that okay, there's the first three parter which was with the Riddler. It was Jonathan yes. case. Then two parts that were Templeton and Cersei. Is it two parter or one parter? I think it was two. Uh,
1: it's a one parter. Is it two? Okay.
0: Maybe, no, I would I would not def- I would not go by anything that Jeff is saying because it's so far back. I was actually going to talk about the uh, the Great Joker Red Hood story with art by Joe Canones, Um
1: I, I I when I Jeff, do you know what? It's a holiday weekend this weekend coming up. I'm going to catch up and shit.
0: You should. You should, Graham. I think, especially talking about Batman sixty six, because that's that's actually the only book that I have subscribed to via Comicsology. So, oh, it, really? Yeah, it's kind of fun. I have to say, it's really kind of neat to be able to get a um, to get a uh, uh, you know get the little notification like, oh, your comics ready for download, you know, kind of thing, um, and, and know that there's like there's going to be that in two thousand AD and Shonen Jump Alpha. But uh, but but there's also kind of that thing of like, well I don't really you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, basically. But the but the Joker story, the art is gorgeous and Kanone's Cesar Romero style, um Joker is just fabulous and then they followed that up with a once shot egghead story that I did not think that I was going to dig because I, I wasn't such a big fan of the artist, which was uh, Sandy Gerald, but that's that's an egg and it's an egghead story, but one of the things that was really great about it was Parker, who I think has been very, very spare about breaking out the Adam West speech mannerisms for um Batman. Like he'll use it a little bit. He really breaks it out in the egghead issue and it works great. It's really it's it's I'm enjoying the book, but I wanted to talk to you about it in part because only the first three issues were the ones that had sort of the the um infinite comic effect of having this the effects pop up when you swoop them oh, or really? whatever. Yeah, no, the, that was only for the first three issues. Every issue since it's very much like the standard DC digital comic where it's just it's all there. Yeah, and I'm like I don't know if that's because the first one they had launched like, they weren't sure if it was going to be a one-shot or not, but they needed the extra time to build in the layered effects or something, but they have not or maybe I turned off a setting on my Comicsology thing. I don't think so. It is just very much a straight comic, and I sort of miss it, I have to say. Like, if the, ever no, there's a comic a big
1: deal for the first three issues yeah
0: hmm yeah if ever there's a comic where that really is that sort of flashiness is super acceptable I think it is um it's Batman 66 it suits it perfectly uh did you pick up you picked up infinite you picked up infinity in digital right infinity number yes. one yeah did yeah. you get the 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 infinity yes. infinite comic with that yes what did you think of that?
1: Um, let's politely say that I wasn't a massive fan.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have to say, like, having read a chunk of these sorts of things, like, um, didn't, uh, God, was it Top Shelf who had, like, a, um, like a Sidewalk Samurai, or do you remember they had their own little motion comic or something that they debuted around San Diego? Is that ringing a bell for you?
1: No, not at all. But also, I was at San Diego, so I, I missed out everything. That- <laughs> right,
0: exactly. How would I know what happened in San Diego? I was there. It made it impossible to know, which is, I think, actually somewhat true. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Um... It was, it was basically, they're like, hey, everyone loves these newfangled motion things. We're doing one with a... I'm not gonna... I didn't save it, shit. I must have re-archived it. Well, and I'll never find it now. Um. It was basically, they're kind of like, oh, hey, this is about a, a you know, sort of a Mad Max post-apocalyptic quasi-faux-Western type thing where, like, this... Uh, kid ends up having to beat up a bunch of gangsters and I don't know there's water involved I just I was not impressed with it and you and I'm like it's boy called,
1: is it called motorcycle samurai
0: motorcycle samurai thank you so much oh my goodness yes uh, I don't know why sidewalk samurai Normally, I'd like to think that I'm a little bit better at keeping the drama inherent in a concept. But, uh, yeah, Motorcycle Samurai uh, didn't do much for me. Uh, Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's Chris Sheridan's. I'm not exactly sure. It was issue zero, which they priced at like 99 cents, and I figured that I would pick it up and, and give it a shot. And oh no, I, this is clearly one of those situations that I should cut things off, because it's like Infinite Comics, are they going down a wrong alley? Discuss, Graham McMillan, and you're like, I have no idea. I'm like, okay! Jazz hands!
1: <laughs> I actually like Infinite Comics when they're done well. Okay. But, uh, for example, the Batman 66 ones yes. were great. Right. Totally great. But it wasn't the infiniteness of the infinity infinite comic that i didn't like mhm you know it was everything else mhm i thought that the story was pointless i thought that the art was just overworked and i didn't it didn't gain anything from that level of hey look at this it's kind of animation but not uh i think marvels done much better with the um Imminent mark wade thing that was with the first issue of a versus x uh huh yeah, like a Nova story. I thought that was great. I mm-hmm. thought that was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the the Infinity one at all. But I mean, Infinity's Infinity's not my bag, Jeff.
0: Well, I I had someone pass along an issue uh, so that I could read the first issue of Infinity as well as the mm-hmm. as well as the Infinity Infinite comic, and um, yeah, it was not. It was not. It's not my thing. I have to say, I really forgot much of it very quickly in part because i read it when i think we were on our skip week um but
1: also there's not a lot
0: there no it's not it's not especially sticky i don't it, it doesn't feel like i was impressed at how just kind of generic things seemed you know like
1: yeah, yeah it's it's a real problem and i then because i'm a moron bought the first of the <laughs> Avengers crossover issues uh mm-hmm that genuinely was a moronic idea. really It was it, yeah, it, I it was one of those things where I was like, I've really genuinely wasted four dollars. Good good job me. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got nothing out of it.
2: <laughs> but
1: what's what's interesting to me is so I chalked that up pretty much to me John Hinkman. we don't get on clearly. Right. yeah like I'm, I'm not getting it. I had library this uh, last week. I got the final Hickman collection of Fantastic Four mm-hmm. which is pretty much all one shots like Hickman's run ends really weirdly huh. it, kind of, ends, it like, kind of ends with the last collection it's pretty much all filler but here's the thing I loved it hmm. interesting I, I, it worked for me in a way that like, his grand scheme thing did not huh. I was like oh look I understand the relationships between these people I feel like there actually are relationships and they're not just plot things being moved around a board right so I don't know maybe it's maybe it's just I don't get the grand scale that Hickman works in and he clearly does like Hickman clearly has a plan for you know I'm going to write 70 issues of Avengers and it's going to be across two books and they're all going to connect and then at the end people are going to look back and be like that was well-structured. Right, right. Which... You know, I, like, I, I, he completely does. He mm-hmm. completely does that. He can structure things to crystalline perfection. Yeah, it just... But... I just feel that he gets too busy with that and not with the stuff that makes comics work for me. Huh. And then when he does these one-shots, I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. It was so weird. Hmm. Hmm. But then I also got the... Um, Matt Fraction's uh, middle two Thor collections mm. uh, out of the library as well and the final collection of Fraction's Defenders, which I was rereading and I, I realised this, Matt Fraction is great, apart from when you ask him to write a straightforward superhero story
2: because
1: mm. mm-hmm. he, he overthinks it because mm. in both the Thor collections, neither one was successful, but in both cases he was clearly like, I'm going to do this trope, but I'm aware I'm doing a trope Mm-hmm and he just like that trips his brain up
0: right right
1: the se- the second one in particular is, is uh Donald Blake and Thor are somehow individual people mm-hmm. and Donald Blake wants his own life and he makes a deal with the Enchantress and sh- things go to shit essentially uh huh um and I it just it's a disaster in terms of writing hmm uh it's there's no clear narrative through line at all Hmm. um concepts which are central to the fucking story mm-hmm. get dropped in as if they've already been introduced
2: mm-hmm.
1: and are never properly introduced uh, there's a very odd subplot about a cliched goth kid mm-hmm. basically learning to love um, <laughs> oh I'm, I'm not joking <laughs> um, there's yeah it, none of it works Like it's so weird it really is like uh, Fraction either didn't have time to gel it together like he didn't have time to do a second draft,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or he was too focused on I have to differentiate this story up enough for me to make it interesting as a writer mm-hmm. that he could so wrapped up in that that he couldn't make it work
0: for mm. the reader. Interesting,
1: but but reading the the defenders and then the two Thor books back to back, like I did, mm-hmm. I realized that like fraction. Something goes wrong when he tries to write straightforward superhero fiction. Hmm. Like he's far too aware, mm-hmm. of, that it's been done so many times before. Right, that he gets tripped
0: up. That he spends too much time, like, trying to um, make his stuff stand out, or that he doesn't. He feels that it's so well known that he doesn't even bother to really. M- make it, like, make his stuff stand out Some, from the tropes? Somewhere, or?
1: somewhere between the two. Mm-hmm. I think he takes the tropes as granted.
0: Right, and so and he always assumes on, you're going to know.
1: Yeah, and then focuses on the, this is my wacky way of, tw- of twisting it. hmm mm-hmm. And so what you're left with is, like, this sort of half-formed story, and this twist, and none of it gels, none of it comes together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you're left going, oh, I totally see what he was trying to do. hmm mm-hmm. I don't know, it's very weird. It, it, But I realized, you know, I think Hawkeye is much better because Hawkeye is not a superhero book. Right. Like, very purposefully. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And I think the reason this Fantastic Four didn't work for me was he was very, very definitely trying to write classic Fantastic Four. Right. But was far too aware of everything that had come before.
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: How about his FF? Maybe Have
0: you followed his, his FF stuff um, separate? I've not. I've not, I've,
1: not really fo- I've not really followed his FF stuff. Um, the last one I remember was when the Moloid uh, came out as Transgender, and I couldn't even tell you what issue that was. Right. But I feel it was a while ago. Hmm. Um, and that felt far more successful than his Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. in part because it was where he could get his freak flag on. Do you not no. Do you know what I mean? No. He, yes. He was freed up. He was freed up of the superhero convention. Right. And he was more comfortable as a writer. And I think the same is true of his Hawkeye. Right. Um, which all makes me really curious about where his Inhumans is going to go.
0: Yeah, we'll you know? see.
1: Cause yeah. If he play, if he plays into his strengths as, uh, as someone who has affinity for, but does not try and write classic superhero stuff, mm-hmm. it could be great. Mm-hmm. But if he tries to make it, hey, it's the Inhumans, then you know it'll crash and burn really quickly. I, 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 I don't know. I, I came away from the whole thing feeling much more sympathetic towards him as a writer.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but also feeling that I kind of wished there were editors at DC, uh, Marvel, rather, who'd just be like, "No, you're you you're not. Either you're not doing everything you need to do to make this work, or more, you should. You're not the right guy for this.
0: Right." right well we'll see we'll see what happens after in humans i mean certainly however however it came together hawkeye certainly seemed like a step in the right direction and so hopefully people will be like yeah like let's figure out ways to get fraction to do more stuff like this because this is finding you know it's it suits him it's actually doing okay in the marketplace like i i ff is one that i um in part because of the involvement of Allred, I would be following if I could, you know? Um, and so it'd be very curious for me to see, in a way, like I always sort of assumed that would be the easier book for Fraction to do. But yeah, I'm not really sure, not that I'm paying a lot of attention or barely any attention, but I feel like it's not something that I see... Really talked about it all. Like either people are, whether people aren't reading it or they're just not. I
1: definitely, definitely, when Fraction said he was leaving both books, mm-hmm. the one book that people were sad he was leaving was FF.
0: Yeah, that's certainly what it sounded like. Like people were like, oh, Je- that's Jeff-
1: definitely the reaction was like, huh, okay, Fantastic Four, that's fine, but he's leaving FF.
0: That's mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's his replacement on FF? Did they say? Do they? Do-
1: Lee Alred.
0: Oh right, right. Mike Allred's brother or something, right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Funky. Um. Graham McMillan. <laughs> that, we know- that
1: was that was the that was the greatest. I have nothing to say about that. Jeff, we have like five minutes left. Yeah. Uh, and I want to ask you. I want to ask you the question, Jeff. Ben Affleck is Batman. Yeah or
0: nay. That's right, we were going to talk about Ben Affleck as Batman! Shit, I would have mentioned it earlier. Well, so here's my thing. There's actually two things that that I have to say, maybe three things about Ben Affleck as Batman, that I feel like, uh, hopefully a little bit differently from what everyone else has said about this, is A... Ben, ben Affleck being cast as Batman really opened my eyes to the fact that I need to follow a wider range of people on Twitter because I was shocked by the fact that it was two days after the announcement and it was still popping up in my timeline. I was like, Twitter, what happened? Like, it used to be like the only time that you would have something happen on one day and people were still talking about it two days later, it would be like Arab Spring or something. You know what I mean? Like, it was just kind of like, there was a churn that I appreciated on my Twitter feed. You know, it was just the fact that people thought that it was so important to talk about it for more than one day, I was like what is happening. Secondly, yes, I
1: I have been tasked to write about it tomorrow, more than a week after it happened.
0: Oh, uh, well, I've got a great pull quote for you then. Okay, go. Oh, well, this isn't it. I'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) So the second, the second thing that I wanted to say is, is for myself, I am bummed about Ben Affleck. Oh, I guess maybe I have four things. I'm bummed about Ben Affleck as Batman simply because, I thought that Gone Baby Gone was like one of my favorite little crime films of like maybe the last decade or so. And I. So I really like Ben Affleck a lot as a director. I'm. Yeah. Even in The Town and Argo, I felt like I liked those movies less. And I felt that it was because he was in them as a star, and therefore his attention was kind of diverted. You know what I mean? So, for me it's kind of like... You know, and this is this this is to overstate how much I like him as a director. It's like if Akira Kurosawa had gotten cast as Thor. It's not so much whether I think he's a great Thor or not. I'm just like I'm gonna miss watching an Akira Kurosawa movie. You know what I mean? Like
1: Kurosawa would have made a great Thor, though. Let's be honest.
0: Oh, he would have been awesome. I, there's no doubt in my mind that if you want somebody who would have owned that role, despite not looking Scandinavian or being able to speak English, Kurosawa man would have rocked it. Um the other thing that I think is really funny is is the idea that that Frank Miller when he like I can sort of it sort of makes sense to me when Frank Miller wrote Dark Knight Returns he sort of thought of Batman as Clint Eastwood. And so the thing that's great is Ben Affleck is somebody who's trying to have Clint Eastwood's career. You know what I mean? So it's kind of similar.
1: So what you're saying is Warner Brothers and uh Frank Miller are on the same
0: yeah, Steve way wavelength. They're like, oh, so in other words, Frank Miller saw Batman as a director-actor who had enough clout as an actor that he could continue to make his own movies as long as he stayed within a certain budget, right? And they're like, well, actually, I think they were thinking, no, 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 say no more, Ben Affleck's our man. So, um, and finally, the little pull quote that you can use for me is... is The fact that people have been losing their shit about Ben Affleck as being all wrong for Batman after saying that Heath Ledger was all wrong for Joker and that Robert Downey Jr. was all wrong for Iron Man and that Michael Keaton was all wrong for Batman, my two cents are, if geeks had any visual imagination, maybe we wouldn't have to outsource it to comic book creators all the time, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh man, that's what I have to say. <laughs> that's my little pull that, quote.
1: That that's that was worthwhile, Jeff Lester Thank And you. you. did it within five minutes when you got started. I was like, oh, he's got, he's going to run. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, like I said, it just helped that I just had those little. I don't really have much to. And yourself, Graham. I have to say, I want to ask you about it, yay or nay? Because you're just basically you. I, had, don't,
1: I don't give a shit. Yes, I, I really find it hard to give a shit. Here's the here's why. Anyone. Can put on the Batman mask, do a growly voice, and it'll be the same fucking character. Yep. Batman swallows actors. You could put a fucking monkey in a Batman suit, and everyone would be like, "He's such a good Dark Knight." Every fucking actor in the fucking world, with the exception of poor George Clooney, who had the misfortune to smile. <laughs> no, stick, stick anyone in the suit, make them frown. Fanboys will lose their shit. I honestly could not care fucking less. Right. Here's here's my um. Ben Affleck as Batman story. I'd literally get the news via a text message while watching Argo with Kate. <laughs> Kate and I went to the wedding last week, uh, and we're in the the like little uh, hostel. Not hostel. What's the word I'm looking for?
0: Uh, bed and breakfast. Basically a
1: hot. Hu- yeah, it's. Well, it's like it, we're basically staying in it. It's like a hotel, but each one with like an individual apartment. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um. And we got uh, we're watching Argo because you know we're looking to relax. We are just on the drive, blah 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 blah. Right. Uh, and I get this text message, and it's written on the text message. It says, "This is why we can't have nice things." <laughs> and I was like, I was feeling pretty good about Ben Affleck, actually. Like, I've watched a film that is kind of good that it's well directed, and he's completely fine in it. You know, i i I've, I've got no problem with this guy's Batman. And then I had this moment of I'm a terrible nerd. <laughs> like, I actually I actually have no. I have no Like actual reaction To this news whatsoever Right I get angry at everyone Telling right. me that it's shit
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. he's not like It's two fucking years away But um, Yeah I, To the actual news To benefit like, Actually being Batman I, I have zero reaction I have much more reaction To J- James Spader Being Ultron
0: I did too yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 Exactly No it's And even then I'm like ah, Like it's just I, I, Well that's I just know. it Like James Spader Might end up being An uh, awesome Ultron We have no idea Right Right, yeah, exactly. We could well be because he is. He's an odd choice, man. He's an odd choice. Like I say, I but don't want to see think, it, but can, but what? can
1: you not also think? Do you not also think that like he could end up being like if they do some sort of weird motion capture or whatever? Vocally, I could totally see him being after. Him.
0: You know what? Honestly, after um uh, fuck, Boston what? Legal. No, no, no. Although people have mentioned that, no, um. Ah, uh, what's his name? The guy who played the Hulk in the Avengers. Mark Ruffalo. After Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, I've learned not to second-guess this stuff at all. Because I remember that being like, how's that going to work? You know, whereas I actually thought when someone was like, oh... and <laughs> it, the answer
1: was, it works really well. It
0: worked fucking better than anything. Whereas, like, when Edward Norton was announced as the Hulk, I was like, oh, that's a perfect fit. Like, I really was. Like, that's perfect. And it kind of wasn't. I mean, admittedly, there's things of scale there going on but really mark ruffalo who i expected to not work he actually worked perfectly because the idea if you've got an idea of what makes of what your interpretation is going to be of how to make a character work then then if you cast for that then it's going to work so whatever i don't know if ultron's just going to be like spanking the black widow or what's going to be happening you know like murmuring about erotic car crashes to thor whatever he's going to do it's clear that they cast him because he can do it and i i think that's i think that's pretty worthwhile i have to say that is i think for myself whedon is not necessarily a slouch when it comes to his casting decisions you know i think he's usually quite good with his actors so but uh but yeah but ben affleck i was just like I don't care. I don't, you know, I'm bummed that I know why he did it. And he thinks that it's going to actually make his directing career much stronger. And I, I don't think that that's going to be the case at all. I think it's actually going to screw him up a little bit. So a lot maybe. And that bums me out.
1: And with that happy notes, we're going to leave
0: you listeners. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. It's as long as like, well, we got that ultra upbeat thing from Jeff where we're all doomed. So let's, Graham, you want to sing us out? Next
1: week, Jeff will tell us all why we're actually doomed. And talk about... Oh my god, he's sinking fingers at me. Um, uh, stop that. That's very unnerving. You have to, Oh my god. Listeners, you have no idea. It's really weird and creepy and I don't like it.
0: Uh, <laughs> <bye>. <laughs> well done. Well done, Graham even under pressure of the fingers the pointy no, fingers never
2: do, yeah never do that again <laughs>